welcome to the God's Not podcast. Um, as always, I have my wonderful husband, Alex, here with me. Hi, guys. And we have a couple all the way, all the way from the United States of America. Um, and we have Bola and Mac. Welcome, guys. Okay. Hey, welcome. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Oh, no, thank you. Um, and I'm just going to introduce Bola and Mac. Um, and we're going to talk about an issue that I'm sure a lot of couples have been through before or they may go through at one stage in their marriage. Um, but Bola and Mac have been married for nearly 12 years. So we, I think 12 years in November. Um, and they have three children. They have um, two boys, no, two girls and a boy, two girls and a boy, a 14 year old, a 13 year old and a nine year old. That's a crazy age gap. I'm just looking at that now, 14 and 13. 11 months apart, 11 months apart. Yeah, the two, the, two, the, uh, the 14 and the 13 are 11 months. 10 months, really. 10 months apart. 10 months apart. So at one point in the year, they're the same age, right? Mm -hmm. They're about to be the same age at the end of June. That's when my youngest, that's when my middle turns 14. So they'll be both 14. It's crazy. We don't, it's fine. Don't judge us. It's fine. Are they, are they, <laughs> we, don't, we don't judge you. We're saluting you. We are saluting you. That was efficient and you did it. So we, we salute you. Um, are, they in, are they in the same school year or different school years? Different school year. So different, one one year apart. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, so they're seasoned, seasoned in the marriage game, seasoned in the parenting game. Yeah. Um, but they have had an experience in their marriage where things were a bit rocky. And they're going to talk to us about how they were able to overcome um, you know, the point of nearly falling off the cliff of divorce, uh, but actually pulling back their marriage now. And um, in Bola's words, she says they're now like honeymooners. So we all need those tips and ingredients <laughs> to make our marriage like it was, you know, that that honeymoon was sweet. Um, but yeah, so Bola and Mac, can you please just tell us what your marriage was like when you first got married? Um, yeah, what was it like when, you know, you said that I do? Do you want to go? You want to go? Yeah, I, I always like to hear, hear you and then have my opinion. <laughs> he likes to poke holes in my story, like, ah, uh, that's not true. But um, so we've been married 12 years. We've actually been together 22 years. So we've been together most of our lives. Um, we met in college when I was 17 and he was 19. So I say this because, um, you know, when I first met him, I've always been enamored with him. You know, I just find him so fascinating, you know, so most of our relationship has been like that for the most part. Um, and I don't think the trouble started because we also had children before we got married. So our first two were two and three before we got married. We actually didn't think, I didn't think we would get married because growing up, I didn't see a lot of positive examples of marriage around me. Even though my parents had a very strong marriage, I didn't see a lot of positive examples. So it just seemed like something that didn't make sense. So I think you and I just always thought we would just be together and just until the, when it doesn't work, then we'll just go our separate ways. But then of course we had kids when, when they started school, um, you know, the whole same last name thing became an issue. So I decided we probably should get married. So we decided, you know, well, I know you wanted to get married, but I'm just saying I came around to it. Is what I mean. So, um, so I was more open to it. So we got married. I know he's ready. He's ready. He got it. Um, so yeah. So, um, so when we first got married, it coincided with the children being young, two and three, and I was also in business school. 
So it was high stress time. And that was also 2008, like around the recession, right? So, So when you ask, how was it when you first got married? We actually don't consider the time that we first got married as the honeymoon period because it was high stress for us personally. It was a lot of stress. I was in school. We had really young children. The recession was taking a toll on us financially. So to be honest, it was very stressful when we first got married. But because I think we've always been passionate about each other, we'll have some rocky moments you know, which maybe we get into a fight for like a day and then we'll come out of it. But it wasn't till parenting really mattered. I think when the kids really started going to school, like around five or six, when the oldest turned five or six, that I think we really started struggling within our marriage. Don't you think? What are your thoughts? Okay. So um, first, I, I, I like to... Um, wait for Bola, not because I poke holes, although sometimes I do. Um, I think I do that because Bola is a lot more, you know, she has a lot more energy and it takes me a lot longer to think and to speak what I'm, I'm going to say. So I always let her um, go first. But anyways, um, I want to say, okay, yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of things that is definitely true. So, um, you know, um, we definitely, we've been together 10 years before we actually got married, had children. Um, we we are both introverts, even though you won't know that Ebola. And so um, throughout our lives, like we've always found one person that we connect with really strongly. And then that was how we felt. She said she was always been enamored with me. But I say that um, that happened after I chased her down for a number of weeks. And she didn't know that I was kicking game, as we say in the U.S. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. But like I was trying. Basically- he was dropping his lines. Yeah. <laughs> It was going over my head. <laughs> she was like, she couldn't, she couldn't see me at all. But eventually, when she came around, I guess at that point, you know, we we connected, and then ten years passed, and like she said, two thousand and eight, she decided, you know, I'm going to business school, and then the financial crisis hit, so that was a hit on me financially too. And one of the things that I think we'll get to talk to uh, talk about is how a man and their ability to provide, you know, how it can have an impact on you. Um, and mentally. So that was definitely hitting. But yes, I think um, so we were struggling then. But I but like Bola said, I think what um, started to really I think our different parenting styles really had an impact. But I also was still at that point struggling to get back into, you know, um, the the state of employment. And so that was also having a, a mental toll on me as well. But um, yeah, so We've been together a very, very long time, so I don't know how we can describe, or if you wanna, if you're talking about how bad it, if that is that the question, like how bad was it? I'm just trying to um, get a sense of what your relationship was like before it got to the point where yeah. you thought there was a problem. Gotcha. Um, but it was very interesting, Mac, that you bring the perspective of the crisis more so in terms of like you know the employability, like that was also at the forefront of your mind. But Bella yeah. didn't raise that; she just raised the fact that when you you know the kids got to a certain age, that yeah. is where she saw the problem. But for you, I guess it comes to that thing where the man wants to provide, provide yeah. and right. that maybe sh- stress or pressure that you felt on top of the other stuff that was mm. happening as well. Absolutely, absolutely. But what's also interesting is that I think most people ask, oh, how do children affect, you know, your marriage? And I think they think of, well, I think of that the newborn stage, like when you're not sleeping, when I'm like, can you wake up? The baby's crying. And, I, and I'm always up. <laughs> and, 
the adjusting from no children to children but it's interesting that you guys have said that actually it was later a bit later when they're a bit older yeah um so if you don't mind talking about the different parenting styles like what what do you mean by that yeah so should i start this time yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, so so just to briefly touch upon the, the earlier stages, I, as far as I'm, I feel like for me, first and foremost, I always, I've always liked children. Um, and I, disclaimer. I, huh? I said disclaimer. Just let no, you know. I, I, I don't know why I feel like I needed to say that because maybe my my thinking in my head is that perhaps it's, it's the man who is not necessarily... Um, always living up to their end of the bargain necessarily. And I don't even know how true that is, but that's the impression I get because obviously the woman is, you know, they carried for nine months and maybe they have that connection and therefore, you know, they're also the one who's tired. They just gave birth. And so the, the impression is that, you know, the man is not necessarily the one living up to his end. So I, I, I want to say this to say that from my perspective, like I feel like I've always been there because I've like, I felt like this was what we were into like together. And um, I felt like this was an understanding that this is something that we have to do. So mm-hmm. whether it was I was working and then I had to come back, like it, there was an understanding with respect to that. So for us, it was not and an we issue. Took turn, we took turns with a night. Like it was never just me by myself. It, he always, like I would sleep one night, he would sleep the other night. And, me, you know, if he had to wake me up to breastfeed or whatever, you know, I would do that. And then he'll rock the baby back to sleep. But, you know, it was definitely more alternating. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I felt like, you know, and, and that's the thing, like you feel like your roles are understood or there isn't any issue as to who's going to do what, you know, and I think that's where conflicts um, arise or, you know, this is how it should be and this is how it shouldn't be. And so for us, it, it is about when it is that you're teaching in one way or another, because I feel like I, there is a certain way that I would like to raise my children. And I feel that is a very strong thing from a man's perspective, because, you know, we're very... Um, What's the word? It's not, I want to say territorial, but um, also um, like it's the sense of ownership. Like this is mine, you know, like this is my girl, my my family, my whatever. So it's kind of like um, my, there's a great movie called Captain Fantastic um, that I, that um, I think describes the way that I feel about my children. If you ever get a chance to watch it, um, it's very good. Um, uh, Viggo Mortensen um, is the actor, but um you know, I I just had an idea of how I wanted to raise my my children, my son in particular, and so um, that clashed a little bit with the way that I felt like Bola was doing it, and I felt there was a, you know, I we always clashed on that, and so I think that was the beginning for us of the issue because, in, you know, especially as a as a um, as a man as well, because part of what you also I also feel is that I have a sense of of, or a need to protect my family. And then there was a conflict between protecting two people that I loved, right? So I felt like I was protecting my my child in some ways, my son. And then I also had to, um, you know, protect them against some another person that I love. So it's, it's a little bit more difficult. Obviously, if it was someone who was outside of the family, there would be no issues, right? But um, having to deal with that for me, you know, um, was an issue. Mac, if you could elaborate um, a little bit on how you wanted to raise your son, um, if you could go into a bit more detail. So, how how, how did you how did you want to ra- raise him? Okay, so let me. I, and, I, and the reason I hesitate is because I, I can just give you an answer, but I want to give the answer that sort of puts me at what 
made it at odds with what Bola um, perhaps was doing. And so um, I guess, so from my perspective, the way that I looked at things is there's a lot of things that we do that aren't necessary, you know, like that we did, especially as, um, you know, immigrants, um, you know, um, children of immigrants, because um, Bola is Nigerian, just for the um, audience who doesn't know, and I'm Haitian. And there's a lot of things that, were, that we were being told. And I know that for me, when I was growing up, um, I, I always questioned it. And I also felt like when I get to be old, I'm not going to have my children do that. And then I also felt like, um, you know, I grew up, um, I, I want to use the word poor, but like, um, you know, I, I think it's a loaded term, but I would say that we didn't have a lot of money. And so whenever, you know, that I want to say, whenever I grew up, I wanted to make sure that my kids didn't have to do some of the things that um, I felt like we had to do. So the idea of having them work, um, you chores, know, chores. Chores, not necessarily all chores, but like, you know, some, a lot of chores, like, um, because, because I felt like the, the idea was discipline was necessary. And I agree with that discipline is necessary, but it's, it's, it's necessary for growing up. But um, it was it had to be done through, you know, um, manual labor, through um, housework and that sort of thing. And I felt like, no, wealthy people aren't having their kids do housework. That's like you can get disciplined through going to play a sport. You can get disciplined through um, doing well in school. Those are all things that you have to be disciplined in order to be able to do. And so I like I felt like this um, emphasis on making them do housework was 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 not necessary um you feel that's cultural what's that you feel that's you reckon it's cultural so like it's, it's a cultural background um i mean because i guess as african i'm Ghanaian, mm. and i know growing up um dis discipline <laughs> it was a chores i mean like you know it was doing the washing the hoovering the iron uh, you know washing the walls washing the doors it was it was all of that was instilling that discipline right in us as we were growing right um i believe that's because it was cultural so because my parents were from ghana mm -hmm. um and that's what they they were ex well that's what they experienced and that that's what they were used to mm -hmm. they passed that down to their kids as well to instill yeah. that discipline i agree and i and i understand that because they from my perspective they did what they knew but for, I also from, felt like whether it's cultural or not, because I can imagine whether in Haiti or in um, Ghana, if you're in the wealthy class, you have housemaids, you know, whatever. The, your kids are not necessarily the one doing this. So I don't know if it's necessarily cultural as much as it's class. And from my perspective, you know, there are certain things that I would, I would go based on what I felt the research said. So the things that I would focus on is education. All right, we got to do education. We got to um, make sure if they're going to be happy, they're they're grateful. So one of the things that we always did when we're sitting at at at, um, at the table is everybody has to do their gratefuls because you, that's what ensures that you're happy. You know, many other things. I felt like why are we forcing? Like just because it was done before doesn't mean that's what actually makes your child successful. I'm not going to do that if that's not what the research says. And so like I I, I battled that. Um, with with Bolo when I was uh, when we were going, I mean, especially um, with, with respect son. to my son, because it was like, okay, this is you know, and it, part of it was because I'm like, this is the person who's going to be what I failed to be, you know what I mean? So let's, let's bring in Bola, Bola. So what's 
what was what was your perspective then? And yeah, what was your perspective? So, so yeah, so I do think he started to touch on it. I think Max saw our oldest, who is Nuaman, as his opportunity to really mold the perfect boy or, or man or whatever it is. So he, he, so he was very specific. Like even from a very young age, our son taught himself how to read. Like my son is also very smart. Uh, not smart, whatever. He picks things up pretty quickly. So, so I think that all sort of played into... Max narrative of raising this super human. So not only is he smart, you know, he's very athletic, you know, he was, he had basketball in his hands at a very young age. So I think Max just saw Nuaman as his pet project, to be honest, like his little project. And I'm not to weigh in on it one way or the other. Like it wasn't, well, I do think we should do with this. It was like, no, I, I think I'm good. I don't need you to weigh in on it. So for me, yes, we definitely did battle when it comes to perspectives in terms of household chores and all, what have you. But I think it was more the frustration around him feeling like he had to protect Nuaman, my son, against me. So the idea that, you know, you've mapped everything out and you are uh, the 100 percent um, parent or influencer when it comes to p parenting and I don't really have a say was a huge thing. So if it, if it, if my perspective um, fell in line with what he thought, it was all good. But the minute he disagreed, even if I called Nuaman, Nuaman, hey, come help me grab my shoes. He'll be like, well, didn't you just call him? What about the other girls? You know, like it was just constant, you know? So it got to, it got to the point where I really felt like I had to start second guessing myself even, even in my interactions with him. So I think that probably was really where the crack came because then that was the first time that I felt like we weren't playing on the same team. It really felt like I was now having to defend myself against him, which was, that's not typically how we operate. So how did you try and work through that? Like, so at that moment when you, it became apparent that you were feeling that way, Bola, and Mac, when you maybe realized that you guys were button heads, what were your methods or tools that you were using to try and reconcile at, the, at those times before any intervention? I don't think we had any tools, to be honest. I'm pretty hard-headed, even though I don't like to admit it. I have a very strong perspective in general. Mac, is very, when he has a perspective on something, he's also very strong. So we didn't have the tools because the tools would be communicating, negotiating, and not being so um, tethered to a specific perspective. That would be the right tool is to say, but Matt, go ahead. But so far, you've been together for years at this point. So I'm just trying to like, you know, get other couples who have been together for years to try and sit where you're sitting. Because someone could be like, but you guys, when you say there's no communication, I mean, you've been together for years. So what, what, where was the breakdown in communication? Because so far you had communicated to get you to you know, that point of where you were in your relationship. But what was different? I think throughout the course of our relationship up until that point, there wasn't anything that was at such great stake in anything we've had to negotiate. But his perspective about his child was not to be negotiated. Like that was one thing he wasn't going to budge on. And maybe in the past, if I said, you know, I want pizza, he may not want pizza, but it's like, okay, well, Bola wants pizza, fine, whatever, we'll get it. So he, you know, we may have been able to figure out a way and patterns that worked in the past. But when you are so t 
tied to the outcome of something that you're not going to negotiate, at that point, you really draw your line and you're willing to go to war on it. And I think that's where that's what happened. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I want to say so when you talk about um, and this was before we ultimately found um, the, 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 the boot camp, the boot camp. Right. So you're saying, like, how did we deal with with the situation initially? We didn't do it so, well, to be honest. We yeah, didn't. It I, wasn't good. I, I want to say that. Um, we, so we really like we can really get along. And I think you could like if anybody who sees us, um, uh, you know, in our podcast can see that we can really get along. But I think we also, like she said, are strong headed, strong willed. So there were times when, when we don't get along, it really like can get really heavy. But the, the point is that we are each other's best friends. So like even if like like if you're if brother and sister, you might really have a big fight with your brother and sister. And then like a couple of days from there and you're like, all right, well, we're not going anywhere. So let's get it back together. So um, I feel like that's what was happening before if we did have any points when we had disagreements. But, you know, this one was more enduring. And I want to also say that I, I feel like. You know, we are putting a lot of this on the children, but I also at that point. So I just I had gotten out of business school because I went into business school after Bola went in and I didn't get a job out of business school. And so I was at home and Bola was working. And that was also playing a role into, you know, the issues that we were having as well. I think that was really huge, Mm. too. So I want to make um, that point, too, because it wasn't just our son. Like maybe if it was just our son, maybe it might not have been as big. Um, who knows? But it was a combination of things. But that was how it presented to me, though. Mm. So I feel like you were probably living 24-7 with the stress. But I felt like I was good, except for now when you're critiquing my um, parenting. Well, okay. So let me also say, because I feel like I'm the one taking all <laughs> And we're not going to make it. I get it. I think Bola should oh, also no, mention right. Right. that you were at work because one of the things I felt That's like true. has put us into a honeymoon phase, if we want to be real, is that Bola was really trying to, uh, really ambitious and she was working her ass off. Well, you know stressed. how Accenture is, Jenny. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think, I think from my perspective too, that also, it kind of it was kind of like a, a, a cycle, like a self feeding loop because. I also felt like the stress was probably her saying, I need to be in a certain place and you're not bringing your end of the table up. I was going to ask, how do you feel that, you know, your rough season in your relationship was having an impact on the kids? Did you see any impact? Yeah, Um, it definitely had an, I feel like it definitely had an impact. I don't know for sure, but I actually, I I didn't know for sure, um, but I definitely did. I remember... You know, just recently, um, I don't know what bought it up. Oh, um, we had had a disagreement and they heard us um, arguing. And, uh, you know, they came down and I was, and we said, did you guys hear us arguing? And they were like, yeah, um, you know, but yeah, that wasn't bad. Like we've had a way more, way worse <laughs> type of thing happen. And... You know, they had mentioned because what, what Bola was talking about, and that's why she said um, she had said, you know, we were on a brink, and I was like, really? Wasn't that bad? She, um, she, at, and I never knew she had this conversation with them. At one point, you know, <laughs> our daughter said, at one point, Bola um, took them to the park, and they thought they were just gonna go and have fun, and then she's like, you know what? You and um, me and your dad were getting a divorce, and you know, they were like, our son was crying. 
And, you know, at the time when she was recounting it, although she didn't cry at the time, our daughter was like, you know, she was tearing up remembering the story. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it had an impact. But, you know, we try our best to talk to them now and, you know, make them understand but let's go um let's let's go a bit further then so what happened so i know that there was a period of separation within the home mm-hmm. so well if you could talk us um about that like why did you go to that point of saying okay i'm moving to the basement um yeah yeah so th- there was just a lot of tension and and i think you know to your point alex you know when you have children in the home um you know you're trying to communicate with your partner. You want to do it in a way that you can feel heard, um, but then not be disruptive towards what they're doing. And it just became very difficult. I, I just felt like we were in a space where we were arguing all the time and we weren't always doing a good job of sh- of keeping it away from them. So, and typically when we argue I'm the type of person that I don't like, I'm either really happy with you or I don't really want to be around you. Like there's no medium, happy medium for me, something I need to work on. So, um, so when we would argue, you know, I think it got to a point when I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't being heard. Like I wasn't able to communicate my point because when Mac, um, you know, he had his own perspective and I felt like I was trying to share my perspective, but because we weren't able to communicate, I felt stifled personally is how I felt. So I got upset and I was just like, okay, I need to leave. Um, So I I think I spent a couple of days at a hotel. I don't even know if you remember, I spent a couple of days away and I would come and try to cook for the children, but it was too difficult. So I decided I'm just going to move downstairs. Do not come downstairs. You know, like it was clear, this is my space that upstairs is going to be your space. And I just need space to sort of sort things out. Um, But I think it was mostly, number one, I really felt in that point, like, like we were at war with each other and and we would even use language like that. Like I would say, you know, I felt like, I would say, I feel like you're treating me like the enemy and it would be, you know, it it, it really, and I think once again, it's because there was just so much at stake, which is the children. And it's so weird because now we look and we're like, oh my God, it's so stupid. We're on the same page. Like, how could you not realize someone, who, someone, your partner loves yeah. your child just as much as you do. So because of that, you know, endless love should be attributed to your partner even more so. But because, you know, you're clouded in your judgment and what have you, it, it just, we ended up being on separate sides, you know? And, and I think because of that, we had to separate Otherwise, it was going to get really toxic. Uh, and because we had children, I, I felt like we physically had to be in separate spaces. Yeah. I mean, so that experience, how did that make you feel then, Mac? Say again? How, how did that make you feel? Her moving down? Yeah, the, the separation. The separation. I'm trying to bring myself to that time. Um, he probably thought, he thought I was being dramatic. There no, she no, goes no. again. No. <laughs> you did. No. No, you no, took I mean, it seriously? Of course. Um, okay. I mean, um, so I don't remember how long it was at this point, but I, I remember that um, it happened. But, you know, I want to say that there are times when we would get upset with each other. And then, you know, whether it's she or I, like one of us would be downstairs because we're like, we're not sleeping with, you know, we're not going to bed together, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, so I felt like, this was one of the situations where, you know, she moved downstairs 
or she was sleeping downstairs and I was like, you know what? I feel just, uh, I'm the one who's aggrieved, so I'm not coming to go and speak to you. So whatever, say, stay upstairs if you want, stay downstairs if you want. So that's how I know that I was feeling. It was like, um, okay, okay, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. I'm not saying doing anything about it. That was the, um, that was the, the feeling at the time. So Bola, did you feel like him not like trying to say, you know, Bola, come back upstairs. Did that ha- did, did that also make you want to stay downstairs longer? Or were you kind of like, oh, I don't care then if you don't care? Like, I know that's probably what I would be thinking. I secretly want him to come and love me back. How did you feel when he was just like, cool, if that's what you want to do? To be honest, to be honest, I think I wasn't, the reason I had the conversation with the kids that we were getting a divorce, to be honest, I actually felt like, that we were in that space. Like it wasn't even, is he going to, like this wasn't a come sweet talk me space. Nah, this was a, I don't even like you. Talk less of like, don't even, like we were not friends. And I think really what did it for me, and you may not realize the impact. I just really felt like for you, I felt like my, my love for my child was being questioned. So just as passionate as he is about his son, I am about my children. And I think even the idea, the notion that your mom, your, you know, your mom could not have this love for you. Even to me, that is, uh, that notion in and of itself is toxic and damaging to your child. Like, I don't want my child to even question at all. So for me, even now I'm in a space where I feel like I can't even protect my child from that, like from, from that perspective as well. So it wasn't, it definitely wasn't a come sweet talk to me. It was a, I don't know how we got here, but we are not on the same team. This is not fun. Like, I need to figure out a way for me to now, um, like, like counter whatever negative effects I felt were being experienced, to, you know, with my children. So that's where my focus went. So how long were you separated for in your own home? It was like four months. It was like four months. I know you don't remember that. It was like four oh. months. <laughs> I promise <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> And, wow. And let she me says that, but I, I don't know that that's um it was like for now, mind you, once again, this is how this is why I'm like he probably didn't take it seriously, as you can tell when he was like, You told them we were gonna get a divorce. It was so real to me. I don't think he was really that real to him. And the, what actually forced us back together, I think when he got it, that it was like, oh my god, this is real, is um during fourth of July, my birth my daughter's birthday is June twenty-eighth. My birthday is July 1st and July 4th, 4th of July, America's Independence Day. We typically have like a huge family reunion. So he'll have family coming from all over. I'll have family coming from all over. So for my daughter's birthday that weekend, that was supposed to be the weekend that we did our 4th of July celebration. And he went ahead and made preparations for his family members, everybody to come down. And I'm looking at this man like... (laughs) Where, where, where are they coming to? Where are they coming to? So, so I told, so I told him, I said, just so you know, I'm taking myself and Nubia to like this amusement park that they've been wanting to go to for a celebration. So whatever you and your family are doing and coming here, we're not going to be here. Just so you know. So, and that was when it clicked to him because I'm huge on family. I'm huge on celebration. I'm like, that would be the one thing that I would be, that he would. So for me to be like, good luck to everybody. I'm not doing it. I think that's when he was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no, this, and he wasn't even invited. So he was like, you're going to go celebrate without me. You're not inviting me. And I think that's when it all became serious. And then when his family came and didn't see me 
I think then they were asking you where's Bola. So I think all of that then made the whole thing. <laughs> He's shaking his head. Why are you shaking your head? Tell us back. Why are you shaking your head? Well, it's just not, that's just not how I remember it. <laughs> so, <laughs> how do you remember not, it? Okay, first, um, first, I don't remember it that I invite. First, I don't, if you know, if you know us, Bola is the linchpin with all the families. She talks to my family members about what we're doing more than I do. So the idea that I was the one bringing them over is just, So no. they, invi they invited themselves? No, they didn't invite themselves. You invited them. Oh. The issue is that, the issue is that this, this, this invitation happened well, well before we were, um, you know, arguing. Okay. And so from my perspective, it was just a moving train. You know, I was I wasn't saying please don't come, but I I also wasn't necessarily thinking you were going to be like I'm just not going to show up either because they were coming. And you know, I guess my thinking was you didn't say you know what don't come meant to me that you were just going to be part of it. And then she you know that's when they were on their way, and you know I expected her to be back because she had left for her own birthday weekend. And it was around, because her birthday is July 1st and it's July 4th. And so she left and I figured, okay, well, she knows these people are on their way. So she's going to be back. So, um, you know, but it wasn't necessarily the fact that you, because you actually did come back. You came back late. Um, but, you know, you came back and, um, you know, they were there and they were asking, and, you know, I was telling them. More than anything, I think um, it was, it was for me, what, what made me understand it was, or understand it, I don't what made me Realize. take an effort, because I don't even know that I um, understood it, because from my perspective, it was like, I'm just as equally upset. I, I feel aggrieved. Like, I felt like there were things that were done that I felt um, upset about. And so, and that's the issue. Like, everyone's, like, worried about what the other person did. So when we get to talking about solutions, um, so, um, but for me, it was more, I think, conversation with my sister-in-law. Um, you know, who is a combination so Bola's, of things. Bola's sister? No, no, no. My brother's wife. Um, wife. wife. You know, a conversation with her. Um, I don't even remember what she told me, but I felt more like, um, I think the feeling that I came away with is it's okay to, um, what's the word? It's okay to... Because a lot of times when you, you think you're, well, what it, is, it, what it is is like a lot of times when you feel aggrieved, you feel like if you give in, you're the one being weak, whereas it's the other way around. Like I felt like I was, especially because at the time, like I said, I wasn't working and all this other stuff. So I'm even more like, I'm not going to be the one who gives in. I'm already in a weak position. No, I'm not doing that. So you feel like you're the one being weak. And I think when I um, spoke to her, I felt more like it's okay. You're not necessarily weak if you come in and try to make it work. That's the that's the feeling that I came off with after the conversation. My question to you, though, do you feel like that place of perceived weakness that you felt because of like you weren't working or you weren't where you wanted to be was that making you probably more um, difficult to negotiate with? Do you feel like you had to probably stand your ground more so because you needed to to be strong? You needed that perception of strength because of the situation. I'm sure it did. Although at the time, I, 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 
you know, it probably was something that was so subconscious, um, subconscious that I wasn't, it wasn't bringing it up. Um, I'm, so I'm sure it had some impact. Maybe I would have been more willing to compromise had it, had I not felt that, you know, cause I would have felt like, you know, I would have felt strong enough to be like, okay, this is my, I'm going to do something about it. Whereas, you know, if I felt weaker, then it's like, if I give in, then I'm even more weak. Like I can't be even more weak than I already am. But I think that's just an important point that how men may have these thoughts and feelings like us women, like I'm sure Bola didn't think any less of you um, because of a season that she knew was just a season because like the recession and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think that is an important point that probably men do just have that underlying thing in their minds that like I have to be at a certain place or I have to be in a certain position. Well, I, I feel that it's because we're wired like that. So it's just naturally at times pride would just get in the way. Um, and if, well, if I was in your situation, I would probably react the same, to be honest, because you're in that place of vulnerability, really. And, you know, you feel to yourself, I'm vulnerable already. I'm, I'm, I don't want, I don't want any shame. I don't want anyone to disrespect me. You know, I need to stand my ground um, and I need to keep my position, basically. Mm. (laughs) Um, I I definitely fully understand that. But I feel that it's because that's how we're wired as men. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear that. I hear that. But I'm just saying that that's that as well, even when you get married and you may know someone for years, you may, you know, have a friendship with them. But when the the stresses of life come, Mm. like these are some of the things we need to deal with, even if we've been together for 10 years, 12 years. But when things were easy and cool, you know, these underlying issues aren't don't arise. But when, you know, things get stressful, then do we have the tools to deal with them when they come up? Sometimes they, they come up unaware, unaware. They, you know, you may not know that this is going to happen. You may not know you're going to lose your job, or you may not know that you're going to react in a certain situation until it happens. It happens and then yeah. some people break because they just don't know what to do. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So what happened? What was what turned things around for you guys? Yeah, I heard I heard boot camp, so I'm quite in. I'm quite intrigued by that. <laughs> okay. So so yeah. So once I had the conversation with um. My sister-in-law felt like I could, and I was like, you know, I, I went in and um, went into, like, Trying courtship to get your mode. Girl. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm going to go get my girl, basically. I remember also, and I also wanted to say another thing that I was thinking, too, and it wasn't my sister-in-law. It was actually my sister who um, said this, too. It's like, man, you really should do something because, I mean, then y'all going to have different um, husbands, and, you know, maybe she'll have a kid, and I was like, oh, hell no. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, that's not happening. No. I'm like, there's no, there's going to be no other dude. Mac is very interesting because Bola, you know, she had communicated with the kids that were getting a divorce. In her mind, she had gone that way. But mm. you as the man, I don't know if that's the man thing or not, but just even you and your personality, maybe, you just thought that it wasn't that bad. Here's the thing is like I, I say I, I it wasn't that bad, but I think what I was really saying, I didn't think it was that bad for her. Because I think even even in my own head, I remember having conversations about, you know what, I think it's done. Like I've had I had conversations with um, you know, some of our friends and that, that sort of thing. And I actually was saying the same thing to my sister-in-law. So like, but I never actually thought that, and that's why I'm saying the whole my sister thing. Because I never actually thought, because like she said, she was always in the more with me. Like I am, like, and that's probably why you were so surprised that I'm done. You, for me to be done with Mac yeah. is a tall order <laughs> because 
I'm borderline obsessed with him. Like I follow him around in the house saying, I'm like, what are we going to do? So I think in his mind, even if he felt like I'm done with her, he's probably thinking, well, she lo- she's not, where's she going? She's not going anywhere. And, and I think that's probably why. So, but for me, for me to have that conversation with the children, I definitely, I was just like, we can't, like, this is such a kind of like, it, it's a non-negotiable for me as well. And I actually really felt betrayed. Like I felt like if no one else knows me in my heart and is going to question me on anything, it definitely is not going to be you. And if you're questioning me, like we've we've made a wrong turn somewhere to not be discovered. So so you were saying there was conversations with your Tracy, my mm-hmm. sister-in-law, that kind of, and your sister. And that my, brought it up. I remember her specifically saying the whole, you know, other kid stuff. And I'm like, mm, no, nah, that's not, no, no, not happening. So I remember, so I remember that thought vividly. And so I was like, okay, I'm definitely gonna, you know, go out and pursue like, kind of pursuit that I hadn't done for years. So I remember, you know, that night I was... All we all, when, like, the man started playing romantic music, (laughs) while we were guests, while we had guests in the house, while we had family, he's playing, like, it was all weekend long, it was an old tabola. I'm looking at him like, what are we doing? (laughs) What? I don't even like you. We're not even friends. What are we doing? So he definitely went in strong so yeah yeah and um and i think that was when i was like i don't know like you definitely putting up a show right now and but i'm still in the basement like i'm looking at him like don't think when people leave it's all gonna be good so when people left i think that's when you really started like he started doing everything you know bola let's have a conversation well let's go go ahead i just want to say so prior to this because she's like one of the things that she also did was like okay I'm upset. You got to go and find a, um, a therapist. I'm like, man, I don't want to do no damn therapist, whatever. <laughs> so she, what we did at, uh, a therapist at one point, I was like, this isn't working. We ended up like arguing back and forth at the therapist's office. And then I found a book and the book was called how, and it was so interesting um, how it was a psychologist who was talking about something else, but I really liked the way he presented his arguments. And so I looked him up and then he had books on marriages and his book on marriage was, you know, how to fix your marriage without talking about it. So I'm like, boom, great book, bought the book, read the book. <laughs> bought the book, read the book, loved the book, and I'm trying to get Bowler to read it. What? So, without talking about it? Now, mind you, once again, part of the reason why I'm downstairs and I'm upset is because I feel unheard. Like I was telling him, I feel stifled. Like I can't have a conversation with, we can't have a conversation when you have such a strong perspective and it's such an offensive perspective. You can't even, I can't even begin to explain my perspective. So I then feel stifled. I feel upset. And now you want me to read a book that says how to fix your marriage without communicating. That makes no sense. <laughs> I'm like, it didn't say without communicating, without talking. Without about talking it. about okay. it. How we so. how we go? No, Mac, I want to talk. All We're right. not doing that. But she refused to read the book. But I'm like, okay, the book is so great. She refuses to read the book. But then after, you know, I was trying to reconcile. I'm still looking this guy up, and apparently he had, a, you know, he's been to Oprah. His name is uh, Stephen Stozny. Stozny. Stephen Stozny. He'd been on Oprah and he had a boot camp that was like a, a town away from us. 
And, you know, he said, I'm like, Let, let's let's do this boot camp. I paid for the boot camp. Um, I think it was almost like $1,000, three days or something like that. I don't remember mm-hmm. how many days it was. Like eight hours each day or something like that. And, um, you know, I'm like, let's go to this boot camp. So Bola agreed to go to the boot camp. And that's where we started to learn our lessons. Yeah. Bola, did you agree easily? No, I wasn't. <laughs> definitely wasn't easy. No, because once again, it just seemed like a waste of time. And like you said, we had been to therapy. We had been to therapy where I think in between those four months, we had tried to go to therapy and we would always come back like upset with each other. So I, you know, the communication was such a huge thing for me. So I was so dubious, especially if this is the man who wrote a book about, you know, how to fix your marriage without talking, you know, and, and I was already in the exit space. I've already told my children. And then I felt bad because I'm like, I've already told them that we're getting a divorce. I don't want to start to confuse them. So even I was, I, I wasn't open to fixing it unless it was really going to work. So I didn't want to even set my heart up for disappointment. Um, so it, 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 for, for him, he just said, what, what do we have to lose? Just go. If it's not going to work, then, you know, we'll get filing, you know, we'll get the process started. So what do you have to lose? So I was like, okay, fine. Cause he really, at that point really did become almost like a pest. Like he was definitely, like he said, focused on trying to fix the relationship. So I felt like I had no other choice but to go. So, yeah. Did that, did that make you warm to him more? The fact that he was persistent and he was trying to, you know, fix the relationship. It was surprising, to be honest. It was surprising. Um, warm to him, not as much. Not, I, was not, I think I was so dubious because, like I said, my main thing, I, I knew we still had a passion for each other. So it wasn't that we had gone wrong. I just, it wasn't that we fell out of love. So he, the fact that he wanted to fight for the relationship, I could even get, because that wasn't ever the issue. I just felt like I didn't want to be in a relationship where I could not feel heard. Because that was, he. I mean, you know, that's such a huge thing for me. If I feel like I'm trying to speak, like I, I got to a point where, you know, he has his points about the children and all this other stuff was so, um, th- there was no way for anyone to penetrate it from his mind. So for me to even try to say something, he'll look at me like, well, you're crazy. Are, are you serious? You're crazy. <laughs> so I just felt painted into a corner like, I can't be in a space where you're so intent about your perspective, I can't even, like, I can't move. So for me, that really was the issue. Let me, let me say this, because again, for all your audience members, I think the narrow focus on the children is, going, is, is um, you're right, you're right. taking away from the, the vast nature of everything. Like, I think when we were talking where you couldn't be heard, it wasn't necessarily conversations about the children. There were things that would happen where that would take place, but it was so much more. And I feel like um, for me, the reason why you were not able to be heard at the times when you were not able to be heard is because your, um, what I would call complaints, your gripes, your um, your your taking issue with th- things that I was doing felt like a tax on me. Mm. So like, I remember vividly saying to her, like, she was like, wait, you keep on saying I can't talk about these things, but this is the issue. And I'm like, but you're attacking me. Like, every time you're attacking me, you, you want to be able to attack me. And that and I should just let you go ahead and attack me. So, like, I think, and the reason I want to make that clear for your audience is because I think that a lot of men 
feel that way. And if we just say it's the differences between our children, then it's not going to resonate with a lot of different people. Like I felt um, attacked. I felt attacked when you were coming in and saying, here's my issue. Here's my issue. Here's my issue. Yeah. And, yeah, you're um, right. Yeah. You're right. Because even and that's a great point. And I guess maybe for me, because in your mind, you had created a narrative that you felt was the thing. Like even when I would want to say something, you would say, oh, it's because I don't have a job, isn't it? And I'm looking like, no, I just want you to pick up your shoes. Why are we talking about a job when, you know what I mean? So I really felt like I just really couldn't say anything at all. Like There was just so much tension about so much. So you're right. I think sometimes when you do feel like you're in a weak or vulnerable space, especially as a man, it may play out in so many ways where in your mind, everything is an attack. And because now I'm walking on eggshells because I don't want to attack you, now I feel stifled, right? So it just becomes an endless weird loop that no one, you can't figure out how to get out of it. So that's a good point. Yeah. What did you learn at the boot camp? What changed? Yeah, give us some nuggets. <laughs> some nuggets at boot camp. Okay. So let me just say that I don't feel like, Bola, you're using the boot camp right now because I feel like you're putting this all on me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> we may need to go revisit. We may need a session after this. See what you no. guys did. We need a session after no, this. No, I don't feel it. I don't, no, I'm honestly, I don't really care one way or another. I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm I'm hesitant to say it because I don't want to contradict her. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I also feel like in order to be more complete um, about what's happening, you know, I also want to push back a, a little bit, not because I absolutely care. And the reason I say it this way is because for the men, when you yeah, for the men, because when you describe it as you know, I was just um, I'm always I'm just pushing it back and saying you know I'm upset about the. Um, the job or whatever the case may be, it doesn't take into a, a, um, account that we have what they talk about is a fierce sh shame, shame dynamic, which when they, when they talk about this, there is no one at fault. It, it isn't because I'm in my head space that that's happening. It isn't because, you know, you told me to put on the shoes. It's men and women have different things that it, what they call their core vulnerabilities. Like in, I'm honestly even... Um, um, it's been more recent than I, that I've even gotten a more fuller understanding of her um, fear piece of it because, you know, you just can't relate because you can't feel that. So one of the clearest ways to um, explain this is from the fear side for men, the fear side is, you know, if a woman is walking and she parks in, um, in a um, parking lot, I don't know if you call them parking lots in London. Car parks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If they, um, if she parks in the parking lot and there's no one around, like she, you know, immediately has her guards up. She, there's some sense of fear because somebody might walk up behind her. That is not something that I will immediately think about. I, I'm not automatically thinking about some dude probably approaching me from the back. It just don't. That's not something like, I can't even relate to that. That's the clearest way, but it manifests itself in so many different ways. Like when you think about a, a, a person who is you know, doing their house, you know, cleaning it up, buying multiple different things into the house. Like a lot of times that he was talking about, um, you know, the shopping is a sense of security. It's like- For women. For women. It's like a buffer from when you have nothing. You know, it's like if I can make, like if, if everything seems to be falling apart, it's like how, how close is it that, I, that I'd have nothing anymore? And women need to feel that sense of security. Another thing that they have a fear of is, is isolation. 
all of these things, um, you know, are things that because of your position, you know, your need for connection. We're, we're all social beings, but women are more than anything else have to have that connection because they're not the um, stronger phys physical sex you know, or gender, whatever you want to call it. And so they need to have that connection. And so if they, this is part of the reason why they reach out more than men do and form um, social relationships. Um, and this is another thing that I learned um, actually when reading the book is, you know, I always thought that after divorces, it was the guy who was now because, you know, they can go and get um, the younger girl. They, you know, they're the ones who have it good. And the girls are like, well, I've got nobody else who wants to marry an old ass woman, you know, but what, it, what the statistics show is the complete opposite. The woman goes, she still has her social networks and all these other things. And most men, like they fall apart. They have no, no one. They weren't keeping up the relationships and they, all that other stuff because it's the women who've been keeping their relationships together. Health-wise so, even, health-wise. Health-wise, all that, everything falls apart. The hospital. Yeah. And I, I had no idea that that was the case, but all of that is because, you know, it, it relates back to their fear of isolation and therefore their need to go in um, and seek that out. Whereas on the men's side, it's the fear of shame. And, and Alex, you mentioned it earlier, that fear of shame, like we we don't have a job that's, that's shameful. And from the moment you're young, like you're being told, you know, well, stand up, you gotta be a man. Or you're crying, you're doing this. And that is so, um, it's ingrained. so ingrained and so impactful on us that that could be brought up at any time. And that's the same thing with her. Like you, um, you don't know when that is happening, like when that is impacting your responses to one another. And so when, for me, when she was in her mind, she was like, okay, this place, I, this place is falling apart. I feel a certain, you know, like your shoes are everywhere. I'm looking at it like, I mean, it's, it's a shoe, like just, you know, what, what is the problem? Not a big deal. You know, yeah. okay, I can bring it up. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And then she would say, you're always doing A, B, and C. And then from my perspective is, now you're making me feel like a shame. Like, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not living up to my, I'm, it's my role and responsibility to make you happy. It's my role and responsibility. You know, whenever you come in and say, I've done something wrong, which is part of the reason why he was saying without talking about it. Whenever it is that you come in and say I've done something wrong, then I feel attacked because now you've you've shamed me, you know. And there are ways that he talks about. There are ways that you can um, communicate that in a way that doesn't get you into that fear shame um, cycle where nobody knows where it started, um, but now you're cycling and you're going far down the down the um, the drain. Yeah, and I think for me, so that's a great point. Um... Because I think it is difficult, even you mentioned, even through this um, interaction, you know, there's certain things that we play into naturally as women and men. Some things I may be saying that's causing, you know, the shame or what have you without even realizing, because I may just be saying, well, it's this, you know, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? So, and when you fall into that dynamic, he says, it's already too late because now he's hyper alert trying to protect himself. And because he's now responding a certain way, now I'm looking at him like, what's the big deal? Like, why are you acting this way? So now I'm responding from a point of, well, you're being a jerk or what have you. And the question is who started it first? It's very difficult to sort of piece apart. 
So that was his point. And, and, you know, to Max's point, that's why you don't necessarily have to talk about what happened because it's almost irrelevant. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, what's important is how your partner feels, whether or not you did it on purpose is regard is not is not the point and for someone who is very like i'm very logical he's very logical so if you're saying well you attacked me and i'm like i attacked you what are you talking about then you know the two shall never meet as opposed to i feel attacked so it's now about changing how you speak and communicate when you feel in a, in a vulnerable position, I feel attacked. Or if I if I if I come in and my house is a because part of you know I keep we, we there, there was so much going on in our relationship at the time. But part of what was happening is I would come home from work. Mag didn't believe in the kids doing you know picking up after themselves. So I'm stressed. The house looks a mess. I'm exhausted. I can't bring it up. Am I going to do this now? Yeah, <laughs> but I've come home. Yeah. So you understand. So it's just an endless dynamic where I'm stressed out. I'm going to work. I'm coming back. I got little kids and I can't even speak. You know, so I really felt like I was in my own space. Who, how we got here, whatever, who's making who feels like what is irrelevant. But in order for me to communicate that, I should feel like, Mac, I know I should communicate by saying, Mac, I know you know, you care so much about your family and my well-being, but in actuality, you know, when those shoes are there, this is how it makes me feel. It makes me feel vulnerable. It makes me feel exhausted. It makes me feel a certain way. So that way, it's really more about my feeling. It's not necessarily that you've done anything wrong, um, but really putting it on myself. So I think it's, you know, he mentioned, um, he talked a lot, number one, about what Max said, that men and women are just you know, we're wired differently, to use your word, um, Alex, earlier. We're just different beings. The two shall never understand each other. You can't, you can't, a woman cannot use their logical position and how they reason things to try to understand a man and what they do. So all you can do is empathize. So that's really the main thing. Like he worked a lot on your empathy quotient. If, 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 if your partner is feeling a certain way, that is something that you should care about. Whether or not you did anything to do it and it was on purpose or whatever, it doesn't really matter. If your partner feels hurt, whatever it is, then your next thing is to say- Validate. Yeah, validate. Wow, that must be really difficult for you to feel that way. It must be really difficult for you to feel a sense of vulnerability around something, a sense of shame. You don't even have to use those words, but it's, it's number one, validating that you are entitled to feel this feeling and I am going to sit here with you. I am in this hot space with you. I'm going to feel it with you. I can empathize. I may not agree as to how we got here. And even if your partner is trying to put it on you, you don't even have to sort it out at that point because really what matters is that the feeling is there. It's kind of like a little child, you know, if your if your child is having an upset episode and they may say, and then the shadow came out of nowhere and it was going to bite me. We're not going to reason as to whether or not the shadow is really going to bite you. You're going to say, oh, wow, that must be really scary for you to feel that, you know, it's okay. You know, uh, mommy's always here with you and what have you. So it's the same sort of concept. It's really just being empathetic and validating each other. So that's the main thing. Um, that was one key takeaway. And then the second thing is that he really talked about a lot is a lot of us are, are, are operating from a devalued mm -hmm. state. And, and what that means is that, um, you when, know, 
did you want to say something? Yeah, so what I want is not necessarily always operating, but you you get to operate. Okay, and this is something that um, I, I forget who, what I was uh, listening to that um, recently made. Like a lot of times when, when she was talking about, um, you know, tr- being logical and you think you're being logical because you're coming in from your own premise, right? You're, you're coming from your own premise and then you're working every step from the premise that you're um, that you're starting with, and of course you're going to land in a different place because you started here, and I started here. So if we keep on following the steps, we land in different places, and we're like, therefore this, and it's like, well, no, therefore that, you know, because I came from different places. And so um, one of the things that um, you know, when I actually started to come around to understanding, is when she stopped fighting. Like when you think you're actually going to fight and make it and this is my point you got to understand my point you got to understand this is the point that he was trying to make without talking when she stopped fighting because if you truly want and that's the case like if she truly wants the best of me she wants me to be happy and vice versa i see her putting an effort everyone will tell you um in negotiating and you know diplomatic relations like you have to disarm like if you're coming in with guns blazing i'm gonna raise my arms as well when you disarm you know, that's when I'm going to be like, okay, I, wow, it's, I see her, I see her effort. And then that's going to make me pull back and be like, all right, let me go now and try because I see what she's trying to do and that sort of thing. And so where you were going on with this devalued state is, you know, when, whether it's fear or shame that's doing it immediately, what's actually happening is the person feels less than you feel devalued when you feel devalued. That's like we were talking about in, in the beginning, you feel weaker. And now I've got the Put on a. You got to pop up. I got to secure. I got to put up my defenses. I I feel weak. I feel insecure. I got to put up my defenses, and so, yeah. So what you have to realize is, what he was saying is, you're now feeling devalued. You have to now put realize that you're a, a value. You have to realize that you're strong enough because when you are in fact strong is when you can be magnanimous, right? It's because I feel like if I'm having an argument, like we were talking about with the young person. But if this person is sitting there, you know, throwing all kinds of insults at you and you're thinking, oh, it's a little kid, you're not going to now, you know, try to fight, you know, quarrel with the, with the, with the little kid. You're going to be like, you know, I'm, I'm the biggest, stronger person here. I really don't care. If you feel strong, you're, you can then say to yourself, all right, that's fine. I see that you're going through a moment right now. I'm not going to respond in kind. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. I'm going to, I'm going to act within my core values. These are my core values. How would I want to be? Who is the person I want to be? Am I the person who wants to be running around, you know, tearing somebody apart? Or am I the person who wants to be strong and say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to shore you up. And when you're not feeling devalued, when you're feeling strong, you can more easily do that. And so the first step is realize if you respond while you're devalued, you're not going to respond the way you want to. All right. So now first put yourself in a more valued state. So, you know, there are multiple different, you know, little tr- things that he was saying to do to make sure that you're putting yourself in that valued state and, and that sort of thing. And so it's a practice because, you know, they, you know, they talk about this, it, it, all, it happens automatically. Like you don't realize, you know, another thing that he was saying is like you get in your toddler brain. You're not, you're thinking with, uh, I forget which part of the brain is more the animal part. Where as opposed to the frontal cortex where you're reasoning, like it it leaves there. You're not thinking anymore. You're not really a human being. Like you're you're or you're not an adult at this point. You're you're acting like a, a child. Yeah. And so you have to practice recognizing 
that this is happening in order not to get to that state and you can um, respond ideally. Mm -hmm. That's a really really good tip there. And let me just quickly say, because there were so many tips. I mean, like you said, we were there for like a number of days, but I think ultimately, Number one, understand men and women are different. You cannot try to reason with each other from a logical space. So that's one thing. So once you have that understanding, then uh, you do away with the idea that your partner is crazy. Because that's also an important thing. I think if you see your partner as irrational, it's difficult to empathize with them. You know, because now you feel like you need to make them see reason. So as opposed to you know, trying to empathize with them. So that's also another thing, um, you know, be in a place where you can empathize because they're not crazy. You, you have to validate their point. Um, but I think ultimately the rest of it is now the work you have to do on yourself. And that's really what he was saying. So forget what your, if your partner comes into the room and calls you the worst names, you, you know, you're the worst, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's not about that because it's always about you, how you feel and how you respond has something to do with your place of security. So an example is if you're walking down the street and a crazy person calls you, you are a fat ass, you know, whatever, you know, fat, nasty, dirty, no good, no one loves you, you have no sister, you know, and just says all these things and you look at them, you're like, oh, that crazy man. You keep it moving, like it doesn't reflect on you because you understand that it's not true, right? So. So, so ultimately, most of the work is always about who you are. Like you have to be a strong person. And what they say that hurt people hurt people is so true. So you constantly have to be in a place of, like he said, you know, you know, where you understand your value as much as possible so that you're not acting from a place of hurt. And part of how you do that, I think three tips for that is, number one, some people get very stressed around transitional periods. Mm-hmm. So that's what he'll say. Like a lot of people you will get up in the morning and because, you know, they're transitioning from, you know, leaving the comfort of their home to now going to work, they could be in a bad mood, right? Or maybe you you go to work and you're in your way home and because your boss has been miserable to you all day, you're about to go in and you've, you've been feeling like you're coming from a place of um, lack of power, you may put that out on your family. So just understand your own transitional periods and what causes stress in you naturally. Because when you understand that, you can then talk yourself into being in a better space. So I think there's a lot of work that one needs to do on themselves in terms of when am I likely to be a nasty, mean, miserable, intolerant person or whatever, so that you can then reduce that. And then secondly, um, you know, when it comes to your partner, part of the reason why sometimes your partner feels uh, neglected or hurt is because um, in your mind, you may be doing something for them, but maybe you're doing it more for you. So if every morning or every day, as much as possible, you do something that makes them know I'm doing something for you, then they are not going so long without feeling loved. So an example is he said, you both should commit to doing something for your partner every day. So so that when it's done, some people would say, you know, every day I'm just going to touch your leg or your knees or what have you to show you some sort of connection and affection. Some people will write, so Mac writes a poem for me every day and he'll write his words and everything, um, which is really beautiful. I actually get really excited. But what that does is it, remind, it reminds me, even if, if he did something jerkish, 
I'm not going to say, you never do anything nice for me because he just did it two hours ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and in, my, in his mind, you know, like I do something for him every day as well. Mine is less cumbersome. I make him coffee every day. Regardless, the point is he's never going to say, I don't ever take any moment out for him. So just think about things that you can do with your partner to make sure that the reminder is there, that you're here for them. And then one last thing is he said, and he put this on the men, because men maybe are not as touchy-feely and what have you. He said, um, be intentional about connecting with your, with your wife or your partner. And he put it on the men because women are just naturally more touchy anyways, but as he's the touchy one. <laughs> okay. So Jenny, Jenny, you have to be more intentional. You have to be more intentional because part of what he said is connection actually releases hormones in you that reminds you and makes you feel a sense of almost like a sense of high, you know, what you would feel if you were getting high, you know, the endorphins are released and it puts you back into a space of love. So as opposed to feeling angry and what have you, when someone touches you, um, now you, you, you're reminded that, oh, no, 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 this person does love me and you, you guys are on the same page. So he actually said... You know, in the beginning, he said, um, if men have found themselves in this boot camp, make sure you're hugging your wife six times a day. And randomly, at random times, he just says, you know, just find a moment, go embrace. And it was so sweet because once again, you know, when you're stressed, children are there and everything, to have that shared moment is such a beautiful thing, especially when it's unexpected, you know, because it's another reminder that, you know, you guys are on the same team, you're on the same page. So there are... Number one, there's some theoretical things that you have to understand, but then there are actual, there's some actionable things, practical things that you have to be doing to reinforce it. And I think um, both things need to come in play. But ultimately, the third thing is you can't hold anyone else accountable but yourself when you treat your significant other in a less than ideal way. And that means you think about them in a, less than ideal way, you speak about them in a less than ideal way, you can find reason to say, well, you made me do that. I wouldn't be you know, yelling at you. I wouldn't be doing this if you hadn't done that. But ultimately, you're responsible for yourself. So you should only be looking to, just like you want to shower your children with your love, you should only be looking to show love and affection. And if it's going to be anything less than that, you really should just walk away and never excuse a reason to do it because it's never acceptable. So those are the things that I think are the quick takeaways to remember. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, we've got I, yeah, to, we yeah. need to have a conversation We after. need to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, I, I, this boot camp, people were coming in from all over the States. All over, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were like, damn, we're lucky. Like, we could actually go back home. People had a hotel rooms where he had it. And so I was like, yeah, we can drive there and come back home. So Yeah. But yeah. like I was, I was telling Jenny that um, I think as much as my guards were up, within maybe the first hour, we looked around and we were just like, no, Mac, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Like, there are people with real problems here. Yeah, there's one, <laughs> one you know? the woman, I remember she was there by herself because her husband Her husband to show refused up. to show up and <laughs> she was so bitter. She was so upset. Um, and even in that, he was telling her that, yeah, your husband may not be here, but ultimately it's you always about it. you. It's, you. you it's not it. about what your husband is doing, yeah. what he hasn't done. It's never about, if you're bitter, 
you have some work to do on that. So, also, I mean, the key thing is it, the work is about you. It's always about you. It's never about your partner. Yeah. That's the key there. If I want to say one last thing, um, it's really like the work is about yourself. Like if you're like you got to do, you've, you've, you're starting off the wrong foot. You got to be like, what do I have to do? You know, what am I doing wrong? And sometimes, you know, you're gonna, you're doing everything. If you are doing everything and this man, and you should be with this man, he's going to see it or this woman, <laughs> you know, um, you know, he's going to see it because, you know, he's going to see your effort. And so that's, that's probably the, the biggest thing. Yeah. No, that, that was some really good stuff. And I think some real practical takeaways that we can, you know, hopefully our listeners can, can take and use. But also what's encouraging is that, you know, it's not just for the newlyweds, you know, like at the beginning, you give them marital advice and it's like, yeah. hey, guys, here are tools. But you've shown that even, you know, part way through the journey, you can still have pivotal moments and make it work, even if you feel like you've hit a dead end or it's, you know, you've really felt like you're at your wit's end with each other. I guess your story has shown that if you do have the right tools and you have the right advice and counsel and even community, like Mac, your sister, your sister-in-law, if it wasn't for their words of, you know, yeah. care and wisdom and love, you know, you would have maybe given up. Um, so just having the right people around you that want to see your marriage work yeah. is also important. Yeah. And I would just say that I, I feel that you guys are fantastic and, you know, I really enjoyed your wisdom. And, Thank you. And, and the banter between and you. And the banter between <laughs> you guys. I mean, your household must be fun. The passion, the passion. Honestly. You can see the passion between you. Yeah. <laughs> your household must be so fun. I, I doubt it's boring at all. I mean, our, let me just say, boring. our kids are always like, why? We're crazy. What is going Why? <laughs> our kids are like, oh my goodness. <laughs> why? <laughs> why are you doing this? But no, we, I mean... Yeah, I mean, thank you. We, you guys are amazing too. We actually really enjoy you guys' energy as well. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately that's what it is. It's, uh, you know, when you're comfortable with yourself, then it's okay for you to be passionate about the other person. It doesn't reflect any sort of way about you. And I think that's why I'm so comfortable stalking him. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because um, it, because I also see the beauty in him, you know, so even when he's feeling less than, it's easy for me to shore him up because I don't see anything but beauty and perfection. And I think that's also important because, let me just say, if you are with a partner who is not, who is making you insecure and who is putting you down, then you either need to try to communicate how that is making you feel, but fundamentally you should be with someone that's building you up. That's just, because life is hard in general. So I do want to say, I think that's a critical part. And Stosny did say that, that if you've tried, you've tried, at some point you'll value yourself at a point where you'll realize, oh, no, no, you're not actually adding to my peace. You're actually taking away from it. You can see it and comfortably walk away. So, but the point is, aside from that, I think, you know, most marriage or difficulties and all of that, if you all, if the love is there, the passion, and you truly are there for each other and want the best for each other, most times you can make it work. It's usually just a communication issue. So, but yeah. But we've enjoyed this. Thank you guys for having us. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. And uh, thank you. You know what? I've never, I've never been to, I've never been to um, London. London. I've never been to, um, well, it's not the UK. It's just England, right? 
yeah, yeah. England. Okay. England yeah. is part of the UK. Exactly. So I, I hope one day we can come and visit. And uh, yeah, definitely, awesome. definitely. Yeah, we'll host you. So when you guys come after lockdown, come after I'm lockdown. So when you're ready to travel, book yeah, that flight. Yeah. Take awesome. a party. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for being on the God's Not today. It was awesome to hear your wisdom. We yeah. are taking away stuff that we need to implement in our, in our marriage. It's our anniversary yeah. soon, so we can oh, congrats. Yes, congratulations. Happy anniversary. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> but honestly, um, very inspirational your story. And I'm sure even the impacts that it'll have on your children to see how even in relationships, you can reconcile yeah. when you think that it's broken. And I yeah. think that probably speaks more volumes than you know to your own children who have yeah. seen the turnaround in the relationship. Yeah. So God bless you guys. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank you. You. God bless you too. Check them out. They have their own podcast. Someday is today. You find them on Instagram, all major podcast platforms. Awesome. So if you love that American flair, that New Jersey accent, then don't, don't stop here. <laughs> find them, follow them, subscribe to their channel. Um, and hear more wisdom, more insights. So thank you guys. Bye.